The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's going to pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. And we have just 25 days left until the voters get the privilege of choosing their next U.S. Senator, Governor, Member of Congress, State Senator, and State Representative. Every one of those will make a difference in your life. And while the Republican candidates are nothing if not consistent, not one has accepted our invitation to be interviewed for the Jennings Report. While I'll admit to being flattered, it's disappointing. I've always been fair to my guests, no matter what side they're on. But Doug Mastriano ignored our effort to include him, as did Jarrett Coleman, as did Dean Browning, and now Lisa Scheller. So the two-term incumbent, Susan Wilde, against whom Lisa Scheller is running, will be my only guest this evening. And Susan, welcome back. It's great Thank to have you, you so again. much. It's good to be with you, Alan. You are the record holder for appearances on my show, and I'm proud of that. Wow. Uh, that's not an endorsement. I don't, what an I honor. <laughs> Let's uh, let's fire away. Start. You know, you're now since uh, the last time I think we interviewed. I don't think I did an interview with you in this last term, but you now have a four a four year presence in the United States Congress. I'm just curious about whether you've um, had any new revelations about your role, or you know, I mean, what is is there any new lesson learned? Is there you know, is there anything you can write to your parents about? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's different. Well, I, I have to say there is constant learning in this job. And I think that once you stop learning, once you stop listening to people in your community um, and figuring out how you can do things better, it's probably time to get out of Congress. And I have to tell you that what I have learned is that people have a wide variety of problems and issues, many of which we can do something about, some of which we can't because it's either not within our jurisdiction or the scope of the problem is such that we can't help them. But it's really, really important to listen to people and hear their concerns and then take it back to Washington. Share, and one of the things I treasure the most is the collegiality that I have with so many other members, particularly of my class of 2018. We were a large group. Many of us are still there. And we work together and often we have we find that there are common problems between our districts and it's just it's really a wonderful thing to be able to work on those things yeah as you know i spent 40 years trying to make the world a better place for other people and it feels really good to make a difference in somebody's life it sure and, does and uh, i mean it's, there's no pay that can compensate you as adequately as just the, the knowledge that you made a difference. And I think that's great. I agree. And I wish every person that we elected had the same kind of commitment, you know. So, um, you know, during the course of a congressional career, many members come out 
regarded or, or notorious for a specific aspect of their role in Congress. David Obie was a appropriations chairman, you know, um, you know, so they, they come out with some kind of reputation of being a certain kind of person. Do you have any, you know, kind of uh, role that you aspire to, you know, as a as a person who was the one who fought hardest for child care or, or you know, for adequate funding for a certain missile system? Or, I sure. Mean, well, I have to tell you, I ran in 2018 on a health care message because we were at that point very, very concerned about repeal of the ACA. And soon after I started running for office, I started hearing from people throughout our community about the difficulties they were having getting their prescription drugs, specifically being able to afford them. Heard from people with asthma, people with diabetes, and many who needed expensive cancer medications. And it it just, you know, it really floored me and it really made an impression. And this was just during the campaign part. So when I got to Congress, that's what I really started to focus on immediately. I'm pretty proud to say I think I've developed a reputation as being a thorn in the drug company's side. Uh, They they have promised me that they are uh, going to exact some sort of retribution about the fact that I have been extremely vocal about the need for Medicare to negotiate with Big Pharma. It is mind-boggling to me. Isn't it just amazing? It is amazing. And for your listeners that aren't aware, that means that the federal government buys medication at whatever price the Big Pharma companies set. Yeah, they're not out of the shop. I mean... (laughs) Exactly. It's crazy. So... If I am known for that, I will be thrilled. We obviously, in our recent Inflation Reduction Act, made progress for the very first time. We've never made progress on this issue. And so now Medicare can negotiate some drugs. We have been able to cap the cost of prescription drugs for seniors to $2,000 per year starting in January. That might sound like a lot to somebody listening to this, but I've talked to so many people who are spending $1,000 a month on their medications. But I won't be content with just that. We are going to have to continue to work on this so that people who are not Medicare age are not paying, you know, exorbitant prices for their medication. So I hope to be known for that. I will tell you I've been told by... um, a United States senator, that I'm like a dog with a bone when it comes to, <laughs> to drug pricing, and I'm kind of proud of that that label. Um, my plan is to haunt the halls of Congress until we get this really fixed. Well, good luck with that one. That's one that'll touch people in a big way. Um, so, you know, the the climate is so rank in that hall that you work in, and it's so frustrating to see people opposing stuff simply because who introduced it, you know, and things like that. Do you have any friends on the other side of the aisle? I mean, are are you even allowed to be friendly with other Republican members? (laughs) Um, The answer is yes. Um, I've now been there two terms. I will tell you some of my friendships were formed during my first term. And the, the, unfortunately, the atmosphere there has degraded since then. And I'm a little concerned about how it's going to be going into the next Congress, um, simply because of the people who are being elected on the other side of the aisle. Having said that, there are some long-term members of Congress that I have been able to work with. Many of the things that I work with them on are not the big, sexy things you hear about on cable news. They're pragmatic things that really matter to people. Stuff that really matters. 
the other thing is that I, I, and by the way, I've been rated by the Independent Luger Center as in the top 12% of bipartisan members of Congress, meaning that the bills that I introduce, something like 70-some percent of them are bipartisan. And then I also do things in the manufacturing sector. I'm co-chair of the Cement Caucus, of all things, but that's because <laughs> we have such a large presence in yeah. cement industry. They're German companies, here. but they're... Right. Yeah. And so I co-chair that with a Republican member. So there are a lot of opportunities to work across the aisle. There are some people I'm never going to be able to work with, and I probably won't even try. But there are enough people there who really care about big issues. I'll give you just one more example. The second week of the war in Ukraine, a bipartisan delegation from the Foreign Affairs Committee, of which I'm a part, four Democrats, four Republicans. We all traveled together to the most eastern part of Poland, and we were able to go right to the border of Ukraine. We saw the refugees pouring across at 150,000 people per day. It was was just mind-boggling. But the great thing about that kind of trip is that we, we saw it together. We formed opinions together. We learned together. And we came back with a very solid plan that all eight of us agreed to that we then convinced our fellow members of Congress to, to support the Ukraine effort. That's outstanding. So um, how about you know, the other side of the question would be, is there anybody on the other side of the aisle you'd like to just punch in the nose? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a funny visual. Well, let's just say <laughs> since I was just appointed chair of the Ethics Committee, I'm not going to be punching anybody in the nose. Having said that, there are people that I will never be able to work with, as I mentioned before. There are people that I am, you know, it's, it's really a shame. There are a lot of us in Congress who went there for the hard work that needed to be done and really enjoy that. And we keep our heads down. We're not particularly dramatic, and we just try to work. And then there are the people who are there for the celebrity. And there are a fair number of them on both sides of the aisle. I generally tend to not have a whole lot of respect for people who just want their face on the evening news all the time. It's not hard to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some people who really have little character that are very high-profile people. It's it's maddening, you know. It right? is maddening. So let's talk about Vladimir Putin. Sure. Um, how do you get out of this mess with him? I mean, he's a madman. He's a... He's an egomaniac. He might even dwarf Donald Trump in that respect. Um, he's in a he's stuck in a spot that he can't possibly weasel out of with any kind of decent reputation intact. What do we do with that that situation over there? Well, let me start by saying, you know, a lot of people don't realize how diverse the Lehigh Valley is. We have a very substantial Ukrainian population yeah. here in the Lehigh Valley. I, I got to know many of them long before this war started. But believe you me, I have been hearing from them and interacting with them constantly ever since this started. So, And many of them still have family and friends in Ukraine. They're very, very worried. But, you know, more to the point, this is just a completely unprovoked war. It's a power grab. Putin is doing everything that he can to take that country back um, and make it part of a new USSR. And it's really important for people to understand that this is about democracy everywhere. If Russia succeeds in taking over Ukraine, uh, the rest of Eastern Europe will fall. Yeah, it may very well. And what will happen in Western Europe is also of great concern. We've seen he is an evil person. Uh, There's just no other word for it. And you know, I've really been terribly upset by the reports we've 
heard and seen of torture on the ground. That's being done by Russian soldiers who I would have hoped would have a little more humanity, but apparently they've just... They're Russians. Well, (laughs) I mean, unfortunately, they've grown up and lived in a world that they don't maybe understand human compassion. And so in answer to your question, what are we going to do? Well, most of that is going to be strategic military decisions. But I will say this. I fault the Biden administration when I see fit. I think that the president has done a really good job of bringing our NATO allies along so that we have an all of NATO effort to defeat Putin. I agree with the president's decision not to put boots on the ground, although, you know, we are supplying a huge amount of uh, materiel and strategy and that kind of thing. So I can't tell you how important our role is in that war and um, where it will eventually end. I don't know. All I know is far too many people will have lost their lives and, you know, been tortured and children, the reports of children being deported to Russia. It's just heartbreaking. You know, I, I you know sometimes so, I just stop reading it because I can't, I can't bear to know anymore. You well, know I, mean? I know too some, much. Sometimes I have to just for my own mental health. But I have to tell you, I don't really have the luxury not of not paying attention right. because I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee. We get classified briefings fairly regularly on the mm-hmm. situation with the latest of the missiles that have hit. And by the way, apparently some of them are Iranian drone missiles that have hit Kiev. Um, that's very, very alarming, and I expect that we will have a meeting of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the very near future. So all I can say is we've got to keep working with our allies. It is, it's going to be a struggle because we are about to go into what is going to be a very cold winter for Europe. And I don't know how much support European leaders are going to continue to receive from their own people as they start to really feel those ramifications um, that we know that Putin will use. And of course, yeah. the relationship with Saudi Arabia is just one example of that, the OPEC decision. Yeah, I, you know, people have no idea. I mean, I'm sure I don't, but I, I pay pretty careful attention. No idea how complicated the situation is in, 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 with respect to other relationships that are strained already and factor in in some way. And, and it's just such a complicated world stage. And, you know, thanks for your service on the Foreign Affairs Committee because that's, that's important work and nobody really understands it fully. You know? Well, I'm also on the Education and Labor Committee and the Science, Space, and Technology Committee, which I think are both excellent for this community. Um, my interest in the Foreign Affairs Committee originally came from wanting to work on trade relationships, which, of course, is so important to our manufacturing sector. But as it's turned out, we've had multiple crises abroad, and so our committee has been very busy. What is it about the law, the the tax code in the United States, that makes it profitable to close plants here and open them in inhospitable places like China? I mean, something's twisted there that doesn't make sense to me. Why would it be profitable to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You may be aware that I have brought up on numerous occasions the fact that my opponent, Lisa Scheller, closed two Silver Line factories here in the United States, cut 60% of our American workforce, and is in the process of opening a third factory in China, meaning that she's going to have more facilities in China than she has here in the United States. Mm. And you ask, you know, why would somebody do that? Well, first of all, the cost of labor is very cheap in other countries. But secondly, we have created a situation with our tax code 
which actually encourages this kind of behavior. The 2017 Republican tax law in December of 2017, which, by the way, my opponent has said she would have supported, created massive tax breaks for sending jobs overseas. Imagine that. Here we are. We're all talking about made in America, keeping jobs here and that kind of thing. And yet our tax code encourages it. That law allows companies to deduct half of their overseas income from their tax bill, meaning that the tax rate for profits from work that's outsourced to China is only 10.5% compared to 21% for profits that they make right here in the United States. It also allows them to deduct up to 10% on tangible investments like their facilities, their plants. And, you know, we just, we've got to get a grip on this. And, And by the way, there are countries that we might want to create incentives for manufacturers. Sure. You know, countries that are struggling, developing, we want... Countries that are spewing people yes. to cross the border right. because there are any opportunities exactly. there. But China is a, a whole different yeah, category. And the yeah. fact that these tax breaks exist, and, you know, I mean, it, it's a serious threat. It's a national security threat. Yeah. Um, I've been to the semiconductor manufacturers that we have around here and came to understand that the manufacture of semiconductors involves intellectual property, that if we're manufacturing them in China, China. We don't know if our intellectual They're property stealing, is, sure. is remaining secure. It's really important. So I actually co-sponsored the No Tax Breaks for Outsourcing Act, um, which would fix our tax code to not reward companies that outsource jobs. It would eliminate that tax incentive I mentioned before, and it would block corporate efforts to dodge taxes such as by shifting funds to tax havens and and cracking down on foreign corporations that are managed and controlled in the United States as domestic operations. Many of these companies say, you know, I'm I'm an American-owned company. By the way, that's one of my opponent's chief talking points. But 70% of her workforce has left America. She owns it. She's American. But so much of the workforce and the product is being produced elsewhere. One of the things that makes me crazy in this country is how the climate crisis is continuing to get worse every day, and people don't seem to really be paying attention or or care that much about it. I don't think I've ever seen a poll where that where climate change top ten percent of interest. You know, what is it that's going on here that the American people seem so willing? to just let those houses roll on by on you know streets that are now flooded rivers right and, and not be alarmed well what? i will say um, climate as a topic polls very high with younger voters as you can imagine they recognize that their future is caught up in it and hopefully those of us who are can no longer be called young voters yeah. are recognizing that our children and our grandchildren and future generations are really going to struggle but we have we have seen so much evidence of the destruction that climate change creates. And the fact that there are still people in the GOP who deny that it exists is mind-boggling to me, including a member of the Pennsylvania delegation who denies that climate change exists or that it's in any way caused by human activity. Sounds like Scott Perry. Perhaps. Now, you know, we just saw what Hurricane Ian did to Florida. I was watching footage of Sanibel Island, a lovely place. Homes just completely destroyed. People talking about never rebuilding there because they now recognize what a danger it is. But you don't even have to look at faraway places to see what a problem this is. Here in the Lehigh Valley, you know, we have what used to be called 100-year floods 
every few years. Yeah. We, we literally lose countless work hours because people can't get to where they're going. And the infrastructure bill will help a lot with that in terms of creating better drainage and that kind of thing. But there's so much that we need to do. Remove it from the minds of people further, you know? Exactly. Well, (laughs) that's true. And then, you know, across the country, we've got our farmers everywhere in America struggled this summer and last summer. Um, And, you know, it's either that they're in the middle of a terrible drought or they're having torrential rains and it doesn't seem to be anything in between. And it's heartbreaking. And not only is it farmers' livelihoods and their their history, but it's also, you know, people are worried about the cost of food. Well, let's make it much more attractive and able for uh, farmers to be able to farm the land. You know, we're not going to be able to produce food that much longer if we don't do something about this. You're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. My guest is the one and only member of Congress from the 7th Congressional District. That's Susan Wilde. We tried to get her opponent to appear on a show. Uh, We were unsuccessful, uh, along with other Republicans that we've tried to get on the show this, um, this year. It's very frustrating to me. Um, okay, um, Susan, we're running out of time. Let me ask you the, um, whether there is a sleeper issue, whether, you know, there, there, there's, it seems to me that there's like four stories going on. You know, you got China, you got Russia, you've got climate change, you got abortion, you got inflation. There's got to be other stuff out there that we're not getting to. Is it, do you have a, an issue? Well, on one your very serious issue that I don't think we've heard enough about and that people aren't aware enough about is that the GOP fully intends to sunset Medicare and Social Security. That is part of the game plan that they have created. Wow. They they And they're all upset when any one of their members talks about it publicly because they don't want that to be something that's talked I'll about bet. prior to the midterms. But here in our district, I know, I, I can't tell you how many people I know who are reliant on Social Security and obviously on Medicare. That's a big one. Another one is the work that can be done to bring more manufacturing to the Lehigh Valley. I mean, it's part of our very rich history. We've got some really wonderful companies here that manufacture cutting-edge medical devices and semiconductors and that kind of thing. But there's a lot that can be done to bring more. I actually authored something called the Regional Innovation Hub Act. And the idea behind that is to create 20 hubs around the country where resources are poured into manufacturing. I submit, and I will make this case any day of the week, that there is nothing that we can't produce here in the Lehigh Valley. We've got unbelievable institutions of higher learning. We've got two community colleges that are phenomenal. We've got trade schools. And we already have the infrastructure, so to speak, um, for manufacturing. And so that's really a big deal. And the reason it's such a big deal is it enables us, those are great jobs. They're high paying career type jobs. And by the way, I, I would put a big plug in for STEM education in our schools so that we are educating people to go Science, into those technology, fields. technology. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Right. And so mm-hmm. I just think that if we keep thinking about that as where this this district, where the Lehigh Valley can be headed to build upon our history of manufacturing and make it even greater. Um, We will go a long way toward, you know, there's a lot of talk about warehouse proliferation and that kind of thing. People don't, and I don't blame people. I mean, the warehouses, they, I've heard people say, well, they drove up the, you know, average wage for people. And that's true, you know, but what happened at the same time was that our countryside was was blighted. The best farmland in America is the under, best farmland you know. in America. And by the way, those same people that needed warehouse jobs to make a higher income and a better standard of living, 
if we could put them into the manufacturing sector, it would be so much more rewarding and less physically disabling than warehouse work. Susan Wilde, second-term member of Congress representing the 7th Congressional District. Thanks for being here when your opponent chose not to. And I uh, appreciate your being able to take the entire length of the show because you had the guts to be here when she wasn't. So um, I just you. want to make sure everybody's clear on that. Susan is not here because I didn't invite Lisa Scheller. Susan is here because um, she understands the, the importance of WDIY voters to uh, her re-election. Apparently, Lisa Scheller doesn't get it. So we're going to um, take a quick break here with the Jennings Report. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Thanks again to Susan Wilde, our congresswoman, for your time and joining us on uh, the Jennings Report. Stick around for my final thoughts. I'll be right back. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect those of WDIY, its affiliates, staff, members, and volunteers. Welcome back. You're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings, and these are my final thoughts. Folks, we have just 25 days left on the calendar before we go to the polls or to the drop boxes, depending on your approach, to help determine the direction of our deeply conflicted nation. We are being tested in so many ways. Culture wars, a war with Russia, a simmering war with China, the many things that can easily trigger a war in the Middle East. There's climate change, mansions being tossed like they're made of popsicle sticks, whole areas of the country that are drying up, abortion battles, gay-lesbian battles for inclusion, racism, space junk. I feel like I should kick into ball of confusion by the temptations. And each and every one of those tests gets at the values, the intellect, our education, our upbringing, how we will apply the things we have learned, the values we have been taught to the question of what kind of world we want to occupy. We can hate or we can love. We can accumulate or we can share. We can go to war or we can go in peace. We can nurture our democracy or we can challenge autocracy. These are the times that should scare the hell out of us. There are monsters among us and they are far too self-absorbed to care about whether you can pay your bills or afford a student loan. Monsters with names like Putin, Trump, Le Pen, Hawley, and Stuart Rhodes. If you don't know those names, you are likely to not know how important this November 8th is in your life. Your kids' lives are their kids' lives. There's a madman across the water who, at his fingertips, has the means to fry us all. And nobody doubts his ability to overcome even the slightest warmth toward the human condition to use them. That madman has a friend, another megalomaniac, who has legitimized lying, who has put our intelligence community's lives at risk, who has attempted to overthrow our nation and who has not a shred of respect for our democracy, who has his own private militia and who has taken control of a political party without a soul or a rudder. No less frightening is that too many of us have watched our homes float down the street. Too many of us have seen our water poisoned or disappear. Too many might not get to read some of the great classic works of fiction or even some children's books. Too many think that we are stealing their freedom by not letting them blow smoke in our faces or insisting they protect themselves and others from a deadly virus by wearing a simple mask. Too many have lost a loved one to random gun violence. Too many will experience a loss of basic civil rights and liberties because young radicals have been appointed to the highest court in our land. The amazing truth in all of this is that you have power. No matter how powerless you might feel, 
you have one vote, just like Donald Trump has. You might not have your own private militia, but maybe you can start a movement to outlaw automatic and semi-automatic weapons by clarifying the Second Amendment and making an amendment to that Constitution. I've spent 40 years fighting every injustice I could find the time to fight. I've taken on banks, realtors, elected officials, slum landlords, the insurance industry. We've won some pretty impressive fights. No matter how dark the world got, I always had enough optimism to pick another fight. But I have to tell you, I'm scared to death. Here are my sources of hope. First, our democracy so far has survived Trump. Second, I feel like I know just about every resident of the Lehigh Valley, and most of you surprise me with how enlightened you are. We are no longer just talking about how much the minimum wage should be raised or whether to fund special programs for the poor. Today, we really are talking about the survival of our democracy and even the survival of the species itself. Vote wisely. Don't just throw the bums out, as they say. Many elected officials are damn good people. Do vote like your life, your children's lives, and their children's lives are on the line, because they are. And those are my final thoughts. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings.